So many people have such a such a different view of the natural world and the natural order than I do. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art. In this episode, Laura Sitterly, a recent Auburn graduate, class of 23, talks with the Florida-based artist Jim Draper, whose work is featured in the Jewel's Radical Naturalism series. Jim talks about how nature influences his work as a visual artist and how he's using this exhibition to respond to the work of 19th century artist John James Audubon. I go in the woods and waters a lot. I say I, 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 that's kind of, kind of what I do for my, not necessarily just for inspiration, it's just kind of what I, it's, it's part of my fabric. You know, in order to have butterflies, plants have to be eaten. Because caterpillars host, you know, they feed on certain plants. So the holes in the leaves became very symbolic to me to, you know, this idea of cycle of life and the idea of, you know, the aesthetics involved in that perfect leaf that's sprayed with poisons versus that leaf that has been eaten by caterpillars, which produces a butterfly. You know, Florida existed long before it was discovered by the Europeans, and it was and was extremely, it was very well populated. Uh, there were close to a million people living in the, in the Florida Peninsula at the time of the European contact. So, you know, there really wasn't a discovery. It was a, it was a well populated functioning society. Um, you know, the legend has it that Ponce de Leon saw Florida and it was so covered in flowers that he named it La Florida, which is really not accurate. It was, it was first seen by, uh, by the Europeans on Easter Sunday, which is the Feast of Flowers. I found it interesting how you said that exploring nature in your words is part of your fabric. Um, and I was wondering if that's something that was implemented in childhood. Did you play outside a lot? I grew up in central Mississippi, so the woods were around us, the woods and fields. I mean, we were, uh, I, I grew up in a town with the a uh, population of around 6,000 people in, the, in a county that had 14,000 people. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a city by any means. Um, and then in Mississippi, it was rural and, and woodsy. You know, it wasn't necessarily wild because so much of the land is cultivated. My uh, paternal grandfather was born in Mississippi in 1884, so he was really a pioneer. And so, um, you know, they... There were very we we went to the woods a lot and learned a lot about the woods and everybody gardened so we were a lot we were in either gardening for vegetables or flowers and so it was just part of my um, I kind of don't understand not being involved with the with with the uh, the natural world I'm a child of the 50s and 60s and then I was in college in the early 70s. And my inspirations were more like abstract expressionism. And so a lot of the, I studied with uh, a painter named Elaine de Kooning, who was, who was, you know, she was married for a time to Bill de Kooning, who was the famous abstract expressionist. And Elaine, Elaine herself was, was an accomplished artist at the time. But it's kind of interesting because my work is nothing really like that. But it's a lot of that idea, that kind of stream of consciousness, you just have to go with the flow. And writing, 
you know, one thing about writing, I do write. One of the kiss of death of writers is to edit while you're writing. You should let it flow, let it all come out, and then come back. And then, then, then the work comes when you start editing what you've written. But you can't, while you're writing or while you're painting or whatever, you can't edit at the point of creation. You, you can't really check yourself too much when you're making something. You, you have to let it go, and then you can come back and just see what you've got there and, and go with it. You can't explore with an analytical eye because... Then you're just regurgitating what's in your head. You're not really exploring. You're just kind of uh, regurgitating. These paintings are all kind of a response to not so much as these idyllic pictures of you know this pristine nature, which hardly exists anymore, but it's more about even the fact that I'll go somewhere and I'm there and I take a photograph of something and then take it back to the studio and then work with it means that I, I've interacted with the natural world. One that was taken on near Waumea Canyon on Kauai at the Nepali coast. You have these cliffs of the Nepali coast. You're looking down on the Pacific where they filmed Jurassic Park. And all, all those ideas just start swimming around in my head. And so that's why I made that particular painting. These paintings are about not just pristine nature necessarily, but they're about interactions. They kind of document interactions with humans. Our species brought these birds from Polynesia as they uh, settled in the Hawaiian Islands. Ultimately, it all comes down to how our species interacts with the balance of the natural order. And that's what that's what we're up against right now. It's just like, how do we deal with ourselves? And, the, and you know, how do we, what do we do? Yeah, that's so funny too, because I also think that there's almost an irony in these paintings the same way that there is in some of the Audubon pictures in the Radical Naturalism exhibit. I read a lot about Audubon and words by him and then I was interested in the fact that you know Audubon as an early 19th century individual uh, was working in a, in a totally different kind of world and a different kind of perspective. So the fact that he kind of casually mentioned a lot of the relationship to species at the time in the early uh, the early 19th century, I, there was one passage that I'd read before many years ago about the Everglades that the that between the roseate spoonbills and the flamingos that at certain times the sky was pink from horizon to horizon with the color of birds. I spent a lot of time in the Everglades paddling through the 10,000 islands and the western Everglades and I have never seen a flamingo in the wild. I've seen roseate spoonbills but I've never seen a flamingo and there I think there on occasion you hear that people uh, said that there's one. So a lot of the work I've done in the past about Florida has been about the flamingo. In fact, the, the ironic part is that Florida has adapted the flamingo as its symbol, uh, and then uh, there aren't any. Part of, part of my work has been about the fact that we are, we're, we're actually having a natural experience right now. The fact that we're using our voices, we're in, we're in our buried environments, we're experiencing the temperature, we're, we're, we're actually we we are natural entities you know we are a another one of many species so um so everything we do is a natural experience my studio has always been in a in a neighborhood in jacksonville that's more of an urban uh, kind of a neglected urban area called springfield on the north side of downtown um and there are all these uh lots with uh barbed wire with chain link fence and then that razor wire, they call it concertina wire, razor wire, 
which makes this kind of really interesting loop on the top, this very vicious, ugly, uh, brutal wire. Uh, what inspired me with this project was walking one day, and I was this this fence had been completely engulfed in uh, morning glory, and it was just gorgeous. So you had this morning glory twisting along in the same spiral motions, twisting along through the concertina wire, and uh, and just kind of just taking over this this very brutal experience. I was really interested in the in native plants and uh, watching the the experience of you know, plants taking over a disturbed area. So I had this idea about putting up a, a viewing platform where you had a, um, a piece of land, any size really, and you had it fenced off with this barbed wire with, with chain link fence and then topped with the concertina wire so that not to keep, uh, yes, to keep our species out, but also just as a statement about leave it alone, let whatever happens within that within that property happen and just watch it. I mean, my idea was just to watch it for years and years and years. I mean, infinitum and, um, and just see what happened. And you would be uh, immediately, you probably see a lot of the vining plants, depending on where you were, you'd see, it wouldn't necessarily be a beautiful field of wildflowers, uh, depending on what bird activity was happening and what seeds were dropped in from the air. It could be anything. Uh, but it would be something that man had no, our species had no input. Uh, we couldn't tend it. We couldn't spray it. We couldn't fertilize it. We couldn't mow it. We couldn't do anything. And just, just to kind of see what happened. I find that I get aesthetically as an artist and knowing the principles of design and the elements of art and all that stuff that I've studied and taught for years and years and years, uh, I find that the aesthetic experience in places that uh, that are unaffected by the hand of man are much more interesting and exciting and actually work better aesthetically than those convoluted landscapes that, that tend to look like a Home Depot parking lot that have flowers that are out of scale, textures that just really don't work together, colors that are garish and, and, and uh, not really right. But, uh, you know, you get into a you get into a wooded area that's not, um, you know, that's just to its own devices and everything works so much better. My idea was to have this blocked off land and then have benches and then have them all over the world, have them so that people could sit and watch the garden that happens without the effect of uh, the hand of man. So many people have such a, such a different view of the natural world and the natural order that I, than I do. So... Uh, a lot of people, you know, like I, and I'm always amazed at, um, uh, you know, the things that I find beautiful uh, are often, it, they're sometimes triggers to others. And the things that, um, you know, that the world wants you to paint, which, you know, you have to do in order to, I mean, I, I had to make a living and I had to keep going. And so you have to kind of skate down this razor blade of, you know, do you do you do you do nothing but um, um, you know, but go to the market, or do you you know do you stay true to your focus? Uh, which oftentimes, what my focus is 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 a I have a I have a view of of the natural world and our place in the natural world that's probably 
very far to the left of mainstream. So it kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always concerned, is this too off-putting to my clients? So it's, it's, a very, uh, it's a very interesting dilemma. My thanks to Laura Sitterly and Jim Draper for talking with us. All museum programs, including this podcast, are made possible by listeners like you. Visit our website at jcsm.auburn.edu to show your support.